Well, this morning we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at a passage from Isaiah uh, chapter. 54. And we've been working our way through Isaiah over the last uh, couple of months. We've been focusing on a series called Streams in the Desert. And a few of the songs this morning focused on that sense of we live in uh, a place that's a bit of a spiritual desert, a country that is increasingly uh, turned away from God. Uh, we were once a, a Christian country with a proud Christian heritage. Uh, that seems to have dissipated over the years. And we now live in a place where actually to be a Christian is far more complicated and far more difficult. And it feels like sometimes that we live in a bit of a desert. And Isaiah promises that there will be streams in the desert, that in, when we're in a desert place, that God comes and brings refreshment if we turn to him. And so this morning we're looking at some verses, some well-known verses from Isaiah 54, just three verses. And this morning we're going to be focusing on the God who breaks barrenness. The God who breaks barrenness. And so this is what it says in Isaiah 54 verses 1 to 3, and the words will come behind me on the screen. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Powerful few verses. You know, we all have hopes and dreams. Uh, I've uh, been uh, I've been trying to keep fit. I'm, you can see I'm struggling. It's, uh, but I've been trying to keep fit, so I'm doing some press ups and some weights and running. And and I I sort of have this hope that I'm I'm I, I think I'm as as strong as I was when I was 18, 19, 20. And and then yesterday uh, Joe came home. My son came home, and he's 22. And I went to hug him, and I put my arms around to hug him, and I thought I'd give him a really big, strong hug. And uh, then he literally just lifted me up and carried me across the room, and I was like stuck like that. And uh, that hope, that dream of, of being in my 50s, that I'm going to be somehow turn the clock back, it just fell by the wayside. I just laughed to myself inside. I thought, oh, what on earth was I thinking? You see, all of us have hopes and dreams. Teenagers, you have dreams of being a pop star, a famous footballer, or uh, maybe a model. Um, students long to change the world. In the workplace, we hope for the dream job. In terms of relationships, it's the perfect marriage followed by perfect children. For our home to be literally heaven on earth. To have all the money we need alongside perfect health. Great relationships. Retirement to be a season of contentment. As Christians, we dream of making our lives count. Unfortunately, life doesn't turn out as we plan. It was William Shakespeare who said this, expectation is the root of all heartache. Our expectations, our hopes and our dreams for ourselves too often end in heartache. For most of us, our hopes are just pipe dreams. 
However hard we try, they'll never be realized. Sometimes because of unforeseen circumstances, but often because we simply don't make the grade. My hopes of being a a football player fell at the first hurdle because I just wasn't good enough. I wasn't going to be good enough to be a professional football player. And if we're not careful, disappointment can be the order of the day for our lives. But the passage that we've just read in Isaiah gives hope to us when we feel like that. Isaiah prophesied to a community that was spiritually barren. The nation uh, was eventually overrun. Most of the survivors were exiled to a place called Babylon. And over time they were slowly assimilated into Babylonian culture. Their country had been devastated. We read about in Nehemiah that Jerusalem was in ruins. Isaiah was written to encourage a people who felt far from God. They knew what it was to be barren and broken. All their dreams had been crushed. Yet in the spiritual desert, Isaiah held out the hope that their barrenness could be broken. And the good news for us, that if it was true for them, then it's true for us today. You see, we know that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what the Proverbs tell us. John Buchan, uh, in his last novel, uh, uh, his last novel uh, that was published after he died, was called Sick Heart River. It was about a man's search to encounter God again. It was a man who'd once known God but had drifted away and lost sight of God. And his search was to find God again. And so he uh, went, the the book is about uh, the, the sickness in the human heart and how that actually only God can deal with the condition of the human heart. Maybe you've come here like that this morning. Maybe you're living with disappointment and failure. Maybe you're facing unrealized hopes. Maybe that's in work. Maybe that's in terms of relationships or even in church. I was talking to someone this week, someone who's not part of this church, and they, uh, they had been all excited about a door seemed to have opened for them in the church, a, a role. And uh, they were really excited to be uh, involved in uh, in this and to have a a leading part to play. And then slowly it dawned on them week by week that actually what they'd hoped for wasn't going to happen. And as we were talking about it, I was talking about how the danger, if you're not careful, is that over time your expectations just start to drop. Disappointment sinks into your heart so that next time it happens... You think, oh, well, it didn't happen last time. And if you're not, before long, you can end up being cynical. And you can live with a cynicism that, yeah, well, yeah, you're just saying that. Maybe, no, it's not going to happen. And we live with this sense of disappointment. God doesn't want us to live like that. Do the following words resonate in our lives? Non-productive. Do we feel that we're just not productive? Do we feel that we don't function properly? That somehow we know what we're supposed to do, but it just doesn't, life seems to be so difficult, it doesn't work out for us. Inside we feel empty. We know we should feel fulfilled, but inside we just feel empty. 
unfruitful. Our lives are just dull. We want them to be multicolored, and, but somehow everything just feels like it's like a long gray day. If so, be encouraged. You are in good company. Throughout the Bible, we come across people God loves who have a sense of destiny but seem to experience periods of seeming failure. We hear of Joseph who ends up in prison for years and years and years. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, thought he had a destiny to lead God's people and he spends 40 years herding sheep. Joshua, who is called to lead God's people into the promised land and it starts off well and then they have this unmitigated disaster at a place called Ai. Hosea, who's called by God to marry this woman and then the, the, the relationship falls apart. It's doomed, seemed to be doomed from fa- for failure from the start. And yet God hadn't given up on any of them. God had plans for them. And today, wherever we are, wherever we're at, it's time for us to seek God for breakthrough. You see, Isaiah's message is that God wants us to come to him and look to him. If we're feeling that, if we're sensing there's more for us in this life, and and actually that's probably all of us in this place, God is saying, it's time for you to seek me. He doesn't want us living under a cloud, even if it's a result of our own poor decisions. You see, it was Israel's sin that caused them to end up living in Babylon. Their rebellion against their creator had got them into the mess that they were in. Maybe barrenness is, our barrenness is the result of something someone once said to us. You'll never make it. You'll never be able to do that. Have you had someone say that to you? Have you lived under that for years and years? You'll never make it. You'll never do it. Maybe our sense of failure is the result of of circumstances that no one could have foreseen happening. We didn't expect that to happen. Life shouldn't turn out like that. It's not fair. Sometimes everything can look fine, but under the surface, all is not well. Remember how Jesus talked to the religious people of the day and called them whitewashed tombs. What he was saying is is that their religiousness can be a form of barrenness. Maybe you feel you're just going through the motions. Something's dying inside and you're going through the motions. God doesn't want that for you. We can live busy yet fruitless lives. Socrates called it the barrenness of a busy life. Is that you? In Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 we see Jesus knocking at the door of one of his churches. Desperate for them to let him in. Jesus is outside one of his churches. Surely that can't happen today. How many of our churches are dead, sterile, fruitless? How many teenagers go on to abandon their parents' faith because what they're seeing is lifeless? If this resonates with us, then don't give up hope. Isaiah's encouragement is that in the midst of the desert, God can break through. Frank Damasio, in his book, From Barrenness to Fruitfulness, says this. 
barrenness. Your barrenness could be a much greater sign of future success than you might imagine. Barrenness is used by God to work into us those spiritual virtues that are hard to embrace otherwise. Barrenness is God's secret school of success. Why? Why? Why would barrenness be God's secret school of su- success? The reason isn't obvious from the few verses that we just read. But it's no coincidence that Isaiah's promise in those three verses in chapter 54 is made after Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we read about Isaiah. He's prophesying about the day when God would send his servant who would deal with the curse that results from our sin and rebellion, our walking away from God, our living independently of the God who created us. Isaiah is prophesying that there's one who's going to come, who's going to change everything, who's going to change the landscape, who's going to turn the desert into a place full of streams and pools of life. And he's not talking about literal deserts, he's talking about the desert of our hearts and our lives. This Messiah we now know is Jesus. He came and died in our place. He died for us. He enabled us to have a relationship with a God who loves us. We've been talking this morning about God is a Father who loves us. Well, If you don't know that this morning, you can know it because Jesus died on the cross for you. You just need to give your life to him. You see, God's Great plan of salvation that Jesus would bear our sins so God could forgive us. The promise of breakthrough from our barrenness is only possible because of the work of the cross. And so Isaiah 54 is written after Isaiah 53. Jesus himself said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says that in John chapter 10 verse 10. The gospel really is good news. It's good news. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can experience that this morning. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. It's time to seek God for breakthrough. And if we're already a follower of Jesus, it's time to seek him. God wants to break in again and again and again and again into our lives. We've been made right with God. Paul calls this justification, just as if we'd never sinned. We now have peace with God. God loves us completely and unconditionally. As John says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. It's good news, isn't it? Despite that, we still have to live with the consequences of poor decisions and wrong actions. We can never get back the years we gave to our job when our children were growing up. The impact of wild living takes its toll physically and mentally. We can know we're forgiven, yet we still live with brokenness and disappointment. And God never promises to turn the clock back for us. However, God does promise, I want you to listen to this. However, God does promise through what Jesus has accomplished for us, he promises something far better. He never promised us to fulfill all our hopes and dreams. 
However, he does promise to fulfill all his hopes and dreams for us. Do you get that? He doesn't promise to fulfill all your hopes and dreams. He promises to fulfill all his hopes and dreams for you. In Jeremiah 29 verse 11, God says this, I know the plans I have for you. You might be sitting there thinking, God doesn't have any plans for me. He's not interested in me. I know the plans I have for you. I know them, says God. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God knows the plans he has for you. He knows. And they're good plans that you may have a future and a hope. He wants to prosper you. Maybe not in the way that you think. But he's got good plans for you. That's good news this morning. That is good news this morning. And God can do far more than we can ask or imagine. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. It's time to seek God for breakthrough. Yet before this can become a reality, the second thing is we need to do something. We need to sing for joy. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Now, I love Southampton Football Club. It's a, it's a, it's a joy and a disappointment. It's a joy and a disappointment. And when you go to St. Mary's, the opposing fans often sing, you only sing when you're winning. Well, we don't sing a lot, if that's true, because we're not winning very often. It's a chant that's heard at every football ground in the country. And you see, the people Isaiah's writing to are people who love singing. They love singing. Yet it's the last thing they feel like doing. They've been taken into exile. They're spiritually barren. Everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Can't get much worse than this. And in Psalm 137, we read this. By the rivers of Babylon. I'm not going to test you who sang this. Shall I sing it? Do you want me to sing it? By the rivers of Babylon. No, please, you don't do it. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. That's Jerusalem. That's home. Our captors asked us for songs. Our tormented tormentors demanded songs of joy they said sing to us one of the songs of Zion how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land how can we sing like that how can we sing when we're barren how can we sing when we're in this place in a desert how can we do it but Isaiah says there's no better reason for singing and shouting for joy he says now is the time to sing They've got nothing to sing about. They're living with the consequences of their actions. Yet God says, sing. Shout for joy. The simple but profound point is this. The way out of barrenness is to sing for joy. Nothing's changed. We still feel barren. But we need to be a people who sing. Why? There's two reasons. The first is because of what Jesus has accomplished. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a good reason to sing. That's a good reason to sing every morning, isn't it? It is. It is. In Ephesians, Paul says that we are without God and without hope in this world. And then this happens. So what the psalmist says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. We were in a mess. We couldn't get out. We were in this. It's like a pit. The sides are steep. It's muddy. It's slippery. We just can't get out of this hole that we're in. This mess we've made of our lives. And we cry out to God. We need help. And it says this. He turned to me. And heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Are we thrilled that we're now sons and daughters of God? That we've an inheritance that can never spoil or fade? That he's filled us with his spirit. The God of heaven has filled us with his spirit. That is amazing. That is such good news. You may feel you've had a rubbish week, but God is with you. How good is that? How good is that? He will never leave us or forsake us. Never. He will never leave us or forsake us. Never. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. He will never leave us. That's amazing. Every morning, whatever's going on in our lives, we can get up and we can sing. God, how amazing are you? And when we do that, what seems so important drifts into insignificance as we're overwhelmed by the presence of God, his love for us and our love for him. God works on our hearts and suddenly God breaks out where we least expected him. And sometimes God works a miracle. We've got stories. Many people here have gone through really tough times and have sung all the way through it. I've just, just hearing, I wasn't here the other week and just hearing Viv get up and give a, a testimony, pray actually about what's been happening with her daughter, Hannah. Hannah had cancer of tumours on the liver. Young woman, young family. Had cancer in the bowel, secondary cancer. And it looked pretty bleak. And, and God has worked a miracle. But in the midst of it, I want to say, I've watched Viv, and she's, she has sung every time I've been around her. She has worshipped God. And sometimes the cynical in us goes, is that real? Does she really mean that? Is she just going through the motions? I want to tell you, it's real. She's, sing, she's sung in her barrenness. Her daughter sung in her barrenness. And God showed up and miraculously, God is working a miracle in front of our eyes. She's doing well. The operations have gone well. Praise God. 
Now, it doesn't always work out like that. But I want to tell you that there's only one answer when you're in trouble. And that's to sing. To sing to God. To worship him. We sing because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. The second reason we sing for joy is that it confounds the devil. We have an, there is an, a, a, an enemy One who opposes the things of God and he hates those who worship. And we heard about Job this morning. Jane brought a reading about Job. And Job, everything is going well for him in his life. Everything seems to be going swimmingly. And the devil's accusation to God is he only worships you because you do good things to him. If you take your hand of blessing away, he won't worship you. And so God says, okay, you you can take stuff off him. You can... You can't take his life. And then everything falls apart. Some of his, his children die. He loses his wealth. And at the end of it, Job worships God. He confounds the devil. The devil says he's only doing it. He's only worshipping you because you do good things. And God says, no, it's not like that. I wanna, I, my, there's no one like my servant Job. Job confounds the evil one. And eventually Job's barrenness is broken at the end of the story. And yet there are some things for Job that can never be put right. And yet despite that, God's goodness still overwhelms him. That can be your story too. God wants it to be your story. That's his hope and plan for you. Worship breaks the bands of failure and barrenness. Unsurprisingly, feeling sorry for ourselves, blame-shifting and being grumpy don't work. I want us to hear this. The worship of children confounds the evil one. In Psalm 8, it says this, From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. There is something about the worship of our children that is special. When we had two little children up here testifying to the goodness of God, that should make us sing. I tell you, it confounds the evil one. When children encounter God, they respond with simple faith, with worship and praise. They are uncomplicated and God loves it. And when Jesus comes, uh, on the day he comes into Jerusalem... On Palm Sunday, the children are shouting in the temple, shouting praise to God. And the, and the religious people of the day, those who are spiritually dead and barren inside, they are indignant that the children are shouting about Jesus, worshipping God. That's why we teach our children to worship. That's why we value having them in with us in the morning. That's why we want them to be able to worship God in in drawing and writing and putting things in front here. Because there's something about it that's profound and beautiful and powerful. It's a sort of worship that God loves. It's the sort of worship he wants from us. You see, our challenge is to be exuberant, joyful worshippers like our children. We're way too passive. We are way too passive. Someone said to me uh, one, a couple of Sundays ago, they said, Steve, when you were talking, I wanted to stand up and shout. You should have stood up and shouted. We're to be a people who do that. We are way too passive. We are way too passive. 
Amen. It's the way it should be. We're way too passive. At the end of Habakkuk, it says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Are you living in fruitfulness and barrenness? Then God says it's time to sing. It's time to shout out, God, you're good. I trust you in the midst of this. Finally, he says it's time to stretch out in faith. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. In the years gone by, John Groves and I, we have... We have tussled, we've wept over where we felt we've been barren as a church. We've worshipped God in the midst of our barrenness. When we've longed for so much more and we've seen so little. And there was only one thing to do. There was only one more thing we could do and that was literally to stretch out our curtains. To open our curtains, to stretch out ten pegs. What do I mean? Enlarge. We literally did it. We enlarged. We went, okay, God, we believe you're with us. We believe that you're going to, you wanted to do something here. So we're going to build along the side. We're going to build that extension. We're going to create some space. We're going to create pools to fish in. We're going to stretch. We, we're going to, we're going to go for our cap debt advice center. We're going to stretch for it. It's going to cost us, costing us £25,000 plus a year to do it. But we're doing it because we want to bless the city. Because we want for those who are poor and broken to know that there is help for them. And so that's why we're taking up an offering on the 26th of November. We're looking to raise another £50,000 to go again, to stretch again. We're stretching out our tent pegs. We're enlarging. We're lengthening our cords. We're deliberately investing in the elderly, students, youth. The ark, we, I just love what happens on a Friday here with the ark. It's about lengthening. It's about creating space. It's about strengthening When Jonathan came down from Darlington, there were numbers of people thinking, what on earth are we doing that for? I'll tell you why we did it. We were doing it because we were strengthening. Amen. Amen. Yeah, come on. Come on. You see, God's promises, they only come about by faith. Every generation has to learn the faith lesson. If you're a teen, you have to learn it for yourself. If you're a student, you have to learn it for yourself. You can't rely on anyone else's faith. You have to take a step of faith yourself. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It's only faith that pleases God. God's promises are only fulfilled through faith and patience. Hanging in there. Do you feel barren? Do you feel you've failed? It's time to take a step of faith. What does that mean? 
When we went to West Point this year, Annie doesn't want to camp. She hates camping. She said, the thought of it, she said, I'm not going to camp. I'm, I'm just thinking, I am asking you to come to West Point. And I'm going to ask you again next year, come to West Point. We had an amazing time. Four, nearly 4,000 of us camping together. It was a fantastic time. But you know what? I bought a tent. I bought a tent. Why did I buy? I bought a tent because I, stretching out in faith, because I want you to be there. I want you to know that I'll pay the price with you of what, it, what it's like camping on hard ground. That's why I did it. I took a step of faith. I bought a tent. Madness. Utter madness. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I'd do it again. I'd do it again. It's, I tell you, it's worth it. It's a step of faith. God wants us to be people who take a step of faith. You see... Isaiah's original listeners would have understood. They knew about living in tents. They may have felt stuck, but God was encouraging them to prepare for breakthrough. You see, God's challenge in Isaiah 54 is to prepare for Isaiah 55 so that whoever is thirsty, whoever is hungry, can come and have their thirst sated, can come and have their hunger satisfied. It's for people, it's for more people. They're to create, it's about more people. Stretching out our ten pegs is not for us, it's for others. It's about creating space. And we have to keep being intentional. It's all about our tent, the place God has assigned to us. God, give me a bigger tent. What's your tent? Your workplace? Your home? School? College? university, whatever it is, it's going to involve stretching and lengthening. You're going to have to stretch out a bit further. You're going to have to make space for people. Maybe you need to slow down in your work just to give yourself some space to talk to the people who work around you. Maybe you need to stop sitting at your desk eating your lunch to find time to go and sit with someone else and spend time with them. Maybe you're going to need to stretch out your tent pegs. Maybe you're going to need to not make appointments once you've dropped the kids off at school, that actually you leave yourself an hour so that you've got some time, so that if it's anybody, anybody that you meet wants a coffee with you, wants to spend some time with you, you've stretched out a little bit. What does it look like for you? How are you going to stretch your tent? We deliberately, Nell deliberately went for a connect point on the balcony because we want you to connect with us. We don't want you to be sitting up on the balcony spectating. We want you to encounter God. We want you to, on the balcony, you're part of all of it. You may feel distant in terms of, but it was about creating space and it's about, we want the balcony full of people hungry for God, encountering God. It's about taking steps of faith. There's someone, Richard Broadbury, okay? Some of you won't know Richard, but Richard is, is involved in the hospital and a door is open for him to go and, uh, and help in uh, 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 overseas in, the, in the Southeast Asia 
uh, and helping people about uh, blood transfusion and, and, uh, and hemophilia and all of that sort of area. I don't really understand it. But he's asked us to pray for him. And every time we've prayed for him, God's opened another door. As he's taken a step of faith, God seems to be opening doors for him. As he stretches out, God comes and fills, and then he takes another step of faith. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like for him. That's his tent. What's your tent? See, if we want to break the bands of barrenness, then everything needs to be about creating more space. Everyone has a role to play. It's about stretching, lengthening. It's about strengthening stakes. This is to hold what God's going to do. It speaks of solidity. Key people in the right place. Clear, firm boundary markers. That's why we talk about values in the church. That's why we talk about our culture. Our culture is important. We want to be a grace-filled church. That's why we talk about building community. That's why we talk about communicating the gospel, the three C's. Why do we do that? Because they're our boundary markers. They're firm pegs in the ground. We don't want to be a tent that gets blown around the field the first sign of wind when things go wrong. It's what we stand for. And we're to be a people who live with a sense of expectancy. God says, for you will spread out. You will spread out. That's God's promise. Says, God's promise says, if you look to me for breakthrough, if you're a people who sing in the midst of your barrenness, if you're a people who take steps of faith and stretch out the tent pegs, you will spread out. You will see breakthrough. I want you to listen to this news clipping. Sounds like today. Gambling, robbery, sexual immorality, and violence is prevalent. Half of all children are born out of wedlock. Purity and fidelity to the marriage are now sneered out of fashion. Corruption in politics is rampant. The world is broken. 1694, that was written. 1694. What happened within 50 years of that being written? Wesley. Whitfield, in their barrenness, they sang. They stretched out tempes. They were prepared to cross the country on horseback. And the result was a nation was changed. What could God do today? What could God do if we're a people who seek him for breakthrough. What, what could God do if we're people who learn to sing amidst everything going wrong and our barrenness? People who learn to worship despite the circumstances. What could God do if we're a people who stretch out our tempegs and make space, make space in our busy lives for God to work and use us? Make space, keep making space as a people to reach out What could God do? It's time to seek God for breakthrough. It's time to worship. It's time to stretch out in faith. This is what Spurgeon said of these verses. Make ready for God's blessing, you who are pining and groaning for greater things than these. God is about to bless you. Enlarge your tents. 
lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes. Prepare for the coming blessing, for you are to have better and brighter days than you have ever known. Therefore, be no more sad, but look forward with joyful anticipation to the good things in store for you.